Pain Talk, a podcast for patients living with pain and those that care for them. Now here's your host, palliative and emergency care physician, Dr. Maureen Allen. Welcome back, everyone, to another Pain Talk podcast. Today I'm going to take a little turn uh, in terms of the topic and discuss something that I think is very important. It is something that we aren't really well prepared for when we go into healthcare. I mean, most of us are motivated because we want to be able to make a difference in the lives of the people that we see and that we serve. And this is the, uh, the, the, the emotion of trying to help patients uh, who we are seeing who are angry, who are frustrated. And this is a very common emotion, a uh, very common reaction that we'll see in the chronic pain population, especially in the emergency department. And if you remember anything from this podcast, is that you need to always come from a place of empathy. So it's very easy to get pulled down into that rabbit hole. We've all been there. We've all learned from our experiences and the mistakes that we make. But let's just dig deep into anger and see where we come from. So I know it was one of the most dreaded conflicts that I have in the clinical setting. And it sometimes would create a barrier, especially when I saw myself wanting to see a patient or to examine a patient who I, in my my thinking early in my career, that this patient was here looking for, for medications, was looking to uh, get me to prescribe something or do something that I wasn't really happy with. So I had my game face on when I went into that room. And then I very quickly realized that what patients really need is they need our time. They need to know that they have 100% of our attention. We need to sit down and we need to be able to listen very carefully. So dealing with angry patients and relatives is uh, the topic of today. So it is a it is a skill set that we can develop, and it can actually make the work that we do matter so much. It can make us feel joy, bring joy back into our clinical practice, and it can actually give us a sense of control uh, when we're going to work that we're not always concerned that we're going to run into some major conflict. It's actually a very common station, too, that you'll see in your OSCEs. So if you're a, a medical student that's just getting into practice, knowing how to approach somebody who's angry, uh, it's very important. So we'll talk through some strategies. Uh, hopefully, uh, I am going to split this podcast up. So we're just going to get talk about a general approach to anger. Uh, but then we're going to get into difficult situations. And hopefully, these skills will help give you a more positive outcome, both for you and for the patient or even the family that are there. So the important thing is name the emotion. So if you're feeling that energy coming up, you feel that hair stand in the back of your neck, is that anger? Is that anxiety? Is that fear? What is it that you're feeling? Because if you can't name it, you can't manage it or you can't treat it. So it's important to know what you're feeling. For me, when I'm feeling anger, it's the hair that's standing up in the back of my neck. When I'm feeling an emotion come into it that uh, I feel very... um, uh, feel the need to almost feel like I have to defend myself. So I need to step out, take a deep breath and sort of gather myself. So it's important to know what anger feels like uh, for you. So there's very, very, so many reasons why patients and relatives become angry. And it's very, very common in the chronic pain population because they are so frustrated. They've been through the system. I mean, you remember the podcast that we had with uh, Virginia McIntyre how she was kept in that acute pain treadmill for so long and she really felt that she wasn't being listened to or wasn't being believed. So a lot of these patients already come into us with their game face on 
And often what they're doing is they're coming from a place of fear and uncertainty. They're not coming from a place that I need a prescription. I mean, that's the misperception that we have or the misinformation. So they're often coming from a place of fear and uncertainty. And they're also maybe in a place where they're not really ready to hear about chronic pain because they're still in that mindset that they want this to be fixed. They want you to send them to someone who knows uh, how to fix this problem so they can get back to the business of their life previous to the way it was uh, when they had uh, before they had acute uh, chronic pain. And many have lost trust in the system. So there's been major delays in diagnosis, delays in treatment access, Uh, There's all kinds of different reasons. It can be also some bad news that they may have received as well about a a family member or uh, someone else. And uh, they also feel that their uh, expectations are not being met within the system because they're not getting what they feel is important. And for many of our patients with chronic pain, they want to be heard, they want to be believed, and they are hoping that someone can fix this problem. So it really depends on where they're at in that journey of chronic pain. So there's many opportunities for us uh, when we're having these interactions. And in fact, one of the most important things I've I've learned is that when I know I'm going into a situation that may uh, pose a lot of conflict, is I see it as an opportunity to practice. So I usually try and run through that scenario even before I go in the room. So I take a deep breath, try and remind myself to come from that place of empathy that these are patients that are very vulnerable uh, for, for many reasons. So they're on a different journey from me. Uh, so they are, have different journeys, different life experiences. I'm coming at it from my experience as well. And we also need to pay attention to the fact that our patients that are coming in angry or they're coming in disinhibited may also be under the influence of any kind of alcohol or, or substance. And they may have significant underlying mental health problems. Uh, they may have a previous history of anger issues that they haven't resolved. And uh, there may be a history of violence or aggression. So if you're going into a situation where this person has had a history in your department of exhibiting anger, never go in alone. I always bring somebody with me if I feel that there is going to be a threat because I need to feel safe in that situation as well, just like they need to feel safe as well. And I always make sure that I have an exit to the door, that I never let myself and the patients, I never let the patient get between me and the door. I need to have access to that door. So I think those things are really important principles when we're seeing situations and encountering patients in these situations where there may involve violence or aggression. So when you're seeing uh, anger, so being able to clarify that with a patient is so the first thing we need to do is identify that that person we're talking to is angry. And so the skill of identifying emotion is very useful when communicating with patients and relatives. But And once that emotion is identified, we can then start to respond accordingly uh, with that empathy. So coming at the patient not with facts, not with this is how it's going to go, but you come at it with empathy. So you try and put yourself in that patient's Uh, situation. You try and understand the frustration and you try and feed back to them what you're actually seeing and what you're experiencing with them. So a reassurance or an apology sometimes, I'm sorry that you've waited this long, really important. Their time is valuable. I often will use that. I'm sorry that you've had to wait so long. Your time is very important. Um, And uh, so those kinds of uh, phrases can be very nice to, to decompress things. So people will vary depending on how they behave when they're angry. Sometimes it's very obvious that that patient may just have the, they're they're sitting there, their fists are clenched, they've got uh, an expression of anger on their face, 
Um, sometimes where I see it in an unpredictable way is if you have a bad outcome around a family member, there may be a lot of angry, anger around the grief. It's not directed so much to us. It's just how they express their grief. Um, they may also present uh, with anger if they are in, a, in, a, in withdrawal. So they, this is where our brain is functioning on that fight, flight, or freeze. Some patients bring anger when they are in withdrawal. So our job is to recognize that they are incredibly vulnerable at that moment and trying to let them know that we're going to help them because it feels life and death for this patient. This is why they're coming at us with that fight, flight, or freeze response. So other nonverbal cues that you might see, so the proverbial eye roll, that to me I find so disrespectful, and I will call them out on that, um, but I try not to challenge them with that. So obviously the eye roll for me is a just a sign of disrespect. I'd never do that to a patient. I hate it when they do it to me, whether that's appropriate. You may start to, I mean, the classic one is the loud speech or shouting, they're pacing, you know, they're swearing, they're verbal, verbally abusive. Um, they tend to not hear so much what you're, even though you're listening and you're trying to provide feedback, they are very oversensitive to what you're saying. So they're not really hearing what you're trying to say. They've got this very aggressive posturing, not wanting to sit down. They're threatening, they're pacing up and down. There's this rise in their voice. I mean, there's all kinds of different things. You'll notice the fist clenching. I will sometimes even point that out to them. I said, your fists are clenched. So I just want you to see if we can get you to just to kind of calm down. I'm here to help. I'm here to provide some service to you. So the other thing is that they may not be able to uh, keep eye contact with you and they're looking down. Uh, but there's all kinds of things that we can read. But it is important to say to that patient, you know, uh, you know it, it's obvious to me that you're feeling some anger. Can we talk about that? And so just acknowledging that what you're seeing is that anger and giving them an opportunity to express that anger and to be able to listen to that. So sometimes patients uh, will display their anger very subtly. So they're very quiet. They don't say much, but they just, there's an energy that is coming from their body and they're trying very hard to try and control that. Yeah. So, or you may notice just one word phrases. So that's something that's very common. Um, so it's, um, everybody is going to be different. So the important thing is that we're willing to, uh, hear that patient. We're willing to listen to what they're saying and also to acknowledge that what we're feeling is this anger. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's kind of interesting. So when I've walked into a situation and I'm feeling a lot of anger and I say to the patient, look, I mean, I feel a lot of anger in this situation. Let me know if this is what, what's what I'm feeling. And most times they're not feeling that at all. So they clarify that for me. So I think it's really important to let the patient know that we're feeling that kind of energy. The other thing I do, uh, if there's a lot of family in that room at once, so with that, and I, I know the family is coming from a place of, of fear as well. They're coming from a, a place of concern. They're really worried about their loved one. But if I feel overwhelmed by the number of uh, families that are in that, and you have multiple family members that are contributing to the conversation, I will give family the option of picking one person to be in the room with their loved one and I will have everyone else leave the room because sometimes it becomes a little bit overwhelming when there is information coming in from multiple partners. And I do reassure them that once we get the information, once we make the assessment and have the conversation, I will come out and have a conversation with them as well. So. Once we recognize our patient is angry, we can adjust our style of communication and to try and diffuse their anger or at least preventing them from becoming more escalated or more angry. So the important thing is that we need to be listening at that point. Our body language becomes important, how we show empathy, how we listen and lean in, how we show interest 
Again, we'll come back to empathy. So we can use this mnemonic called believe, body language, empathy, lean in and listen, show interest, empathy comes back in again, the tone of my voice, and empathy comes back in again. So empathy is repeated over and over again. So body language, uh, empathy, listen in and le lean in and listen, show interest, empathy, and really show, uh, change the tone in my voice. So let's just break those down a little bit better. So your voice needs to stay calm. I don't want to escalate my tone of voice. I want to stay composed. And this is really, really difficult, especially if someone is yelling at you. And usually what I will say, especially if, because we're only human, is if I feel really threatened by that yelling, I will tell a family member that, look, I think I need to step out for a second. And when we come back in, we can try and have a conversation. So I want to speak very slowly and very clearly. I try not to raise the volume of my voice, even if the patient is shouting. So I'm trying to, to get them to, to decompress as well. I need a very professional kind of uh, approach. Uh, I need to be very relaxed. So if I'm sitting there with my arms crossed, I want to uncross my arms and I want to uncross my feet and put my feet on the floor. I always like to sit down. Now, if that patient is standing over me, I'm not comfortable sitting down. I don't like to have a patient uh, towering over me. So I always try and keep myself up if the patient is refusing to sit down and that's fine as well. But I never let that patient get between me and the door. So this is where it becomes important to point out some of these behaviors. You're looking very upset by all of this. Can you tell me what's happening or what you're feeling? So trying to listen to hear to hear back what they're what they're actually feeling. So helping them understand what they're feeling as well and then start that conversation. So sometimes a patient can respond in two ways. They say, "Look, I'm not angry. I'm not pissed off. In fact, I'm just really frustrated because I've waited eight hours. And this is typical of what we'll see in the emergency room. And this is where you need to say, look, I'm really sorry that you had to wait. Um, if I had any other way of, of getting to you faster, we would have been able to do that. So, and sometimes you don't have to elaborate on that. Just say, look, I'm really sorry that you had to wait. And then just leave it at that. And if they are angry, oftentimes they will own it. And so that you've confirmed that they're really angry. And so you need to be able to bring that empathy. So that believe, um, try to understand why they're angry. So often there are other emotions behind the anger. For example, they're frustrated. So you can have anger as the primary emotion, but there can be some frustration as well. Or more commonly fear. And that fear is the one that I think is driving a lot of the anger because there's a lot of fear and uncertainty. And people are going to respond with the, the capacity that they have. So they're bringing their life story. They're bringing those habits and behaviors, their coping strategies at that time. And uh, especially when you're dealing with someone ill, that potentially could die of whatever that illness is. But when we're looking at the chronic pain population, they have been so, this has gone on for years and years and years. And if you're seeing them in, in the emergency department and they're having a significant flare-up, they are actually terrified that something really dangerous or bad is going on. So at that point, we can start to ask some open questions and to, to identify the focus of why they're angry. So tell me more about what, what is happening here. Why are you feeling this way? Is there anything else that happened today that could make you angry? Is, it, is there anything in specific in terms of an interaction with one of my colleagues? So try to listen at that point and lean into the explanation as to why they're angry. So demonstrate that active listening that we talked about, you know, that eye contact, the nodding, the verbal responses, and, you know, mm, yep, I'm hearing you. And allow the patient to vent at you completely if needed. 
Um, they need to get lots of things off their chest and you need to give them lots of space to speak. And honestly, it doesn't take much. It, it, it's interesting. I've timed this before and sometimes even a minute or two minutes can make a world of difference and try not to interrupt your patient. You know, one of the hardest things that we do as physicians, we think we ask the patient, tell me about what brought you here today. And I, what I used to do is just practice for, uh, you know, trying for a minute or two minutes not to interrupt the patient. Just let them tell the story. And that is a skill that we need to practice more and more as well. And then we, what we want to do is respond to the anger. So once we've got that information about the patient's anger um, and you think that the patient has said what they need to say, you can start to respond to that anger uh, and the situation uh, and answering any questions that they have. So here's where the empathy comes in. So empathy can be an, such an, it is such an important um, uh, skill set that we need in medicine. We need to be able to put ourselves in that vulnerability mindset of that patient to understand where they're coming from. And in fact, empathy will uh, be the most important skill that uh, will bring that patient to a place of calm. Um, more so than facts, more so than you know, going through a blood test or going through a lab test is our ability to understand the fear that they're, that they're feeling and how you can help to relieve that fear. So some empathetic phrases that you could use, and given everything you've told me, it's understandably that you feel this way. It sounds like you've had a lot going on at the moment, and it's natural that you're feeling this way. So these are some of the phrases that we can sort of bring into the, can bring into the conversation. By bringing that empathy, it actually helps the patient feel cared for and listened to. So they're being heard. And it helps to build that rapport that you want to have between them and you. Um, and it also helps to diffuse the anger, which creates a really safe environment for the patient, the family, and as, as well as to your, your medical or nursing staff that are there as well. And if something has happened where there's been an error, just make sure that you're apologizing for it. And so if that patient is legitimately angry as a result of a medical error, you need to own that. And if it's not you, if it's one of your colleagues, then that can be a little bit more challenging. And I'm, don't, don't try and, and demean your colleague. Don't bring your colleague into it. Just acknowledge that you're sorry that that mistake had happened to them and that it caused them harm. So try not to um, bring in uh, any of your colleagues who may be part of that, uh, that, that d d anger. In fact, when I have a patient sitting in front of me and they start to badmouth another one of my colleagues, I have to step back and say, do you know what? I'm really sorry that that experience was there for you, but I think what we do need to do is to try and, and talk about how we can help you at this moment. So it's important to be careful how you apologize. Do not enable the patient to blame uh, when you have not done anything wrong. So this is the other thing. You could apologize that the unfortunate event had occurred. I'm sorry that you're feeling so angry about what has happened. And careful not to assume responsibility for whatever that event, especially if it was not you or if it was another healthcare team member uh, that was at fault. Uh, so this may help to frame some of the expectations the patient may have. You always want to, at the end of an interview, to thank the patient. And sometimes it can be appropriate. To, you know, I've been in situations where I've said to the patient, I'm so glad that you shared this with me because I do think it's really important that um, that you're heard, that uh, that we explore some of these reasons why you're feeling this way and to see if we can do better as a, as a healthcare team. 
So thank you for sharing how you feel with me. It's important that you're able to uh, share this information. And then you want to start looking at some some solutions to whatever's going on or encourage more questions. So you wonder if sometimes we'll ask, what do you think needs to happen uh, to make this better today? So this again shows that you care enough about the situation that you want to help to change it. So what can I do to help you? Sometimes when people are angry, they have very they have difficulty thinking clearly and they have very difficult time thinking of solutions to whatever the problem was. So they may welcome your attempt at suggesting one. So this is where we want to work with the patient to find a way to help them diffuse that anger. So when the interview closes, you want to conclude and thank the patient as we talked about and suggesting a plan as we go forward, how we can do this better. Um, and also, uh, hopefully, you've diffused the situation. So, some so you want to give some clarification or some some plan down the way. So, here's what I plan to do. So, you know, I know that this test result is very important for you. Um, so, when that test result comes back, I'm going to make sure that I give you a call with that result if that works for you. Or you want to go sit down with the patient. Is it is it okay if I sit with you and just go through some of these tests? I find that really useful, especially in the chronic pain population. They've been through so many different tests and investigations. They've heard different things. And oftentimes what comes up is around degenerative disc disease, degenerative arthritis. And it's really hard for patients to understand that that's often not what's driving persistent pain. It's important, though, that we acknowledge that they do have that condition, but they need to understand it's not what contributes, it's not what's causing the persistent pain. One of the most important things that we do with degenerative disease is help patients get active. So we want that muscle tissue to, to stay strong and we want it to stay active. But that becomes very difficult when they have a persistent pain syndrome. So acknowledging the degenerative disease, but also what's important is how we help them get active. So it, it is very, very helpful to go through some of the tests or consultations that have been on the patient's chart. I always find that that can be very, very helpful. If needed, you can actually uh, try sometimes to, uh, especially if there's a lot of anger, a lot of conflict, we often will have, especially in our palliative care hat, we do lots of family meetings because there's lots of dynamics that can come in. And uh, every family member is going to be at a different place in terms of the cancer journey. Uh, for their loved ones. So anger can be uh, another way that they express their grief. Um, so we need to kind of bring families together sometimes and, and have those discussions. So things to avoid when speaking to angry patients. So these are just a few little cues. Um, you, you don't want the patient to have, uh, you don't want to just say a quick fix. So you, to, to, you want the patient to be able to explore the emotion uh, and the, what they're feeling rather than find a quick solution. So this is very common, you know, when our, call, our, our spouses will say, you know, I'm having all this problem, and then suddenly they give you a quick fix. You're not looking for a quick fix. You're just looking for someone to sound off on. A lot of times our patients are doing the same thing. They just want to sound off on someone. Um, so just being able to listen to that and acknowledge that, wow, that had to be difficult for them can be very important. So the worst thing to do as well is to get angry yourself. And that sometimes can be really hard. Um, early in my career, I found that very difficult. I had to step out of the room and then come back and apologize. So every time you have a scenario that's going to challenge that, see it as an opportunity to practice. So a lot of times you can know from the nurses, especially in the emergency room, that this patient is really upset or your front end staff. And so you can prepare yourself before you even go in the room. The other thing is to get your back up, so being too defensive. So it might feel like a natural thing to do, especially if you're feeling threatened. 
Um, but um, try to avoid the temptation as this often will start to escalate things. And we're, we're thinking not with the mindful part of our brain, but we're thinking with that reactive survival piece. So try to avoid uh, suggesting a quick flick, fix, uh, avoid getting angry yourself and being defensive. So we're going to stop there. And the next podcast we're going to get into is how to approach the difficult patient. Uh, so the patient that won't sit down, you know, is pacing, is starting to escalate. So we'll get into that in the next podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Pain Talk. To learn more about our podcast and to find links mentioned in today's show, please visit our website at paintalk.ca.